0: Everybody, hold up your Bible. Let me see your Bible. Who brought your Bible to church? Everybody, look at the Bibles. For those of you who did not bring your Bible to church, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. All right, hold up your Bibles. Hold up your fake Bible on your phone, everybody. Let me see it. Hold up your Bibles. Hold up your Bibles. Okay. Redemption Church, this is God's word. Keep it up. This word tells us who God is, what God does, and what it means for us to live our lives for him. This word is trustworthy. It is true. It is the final rule and authority in the life of the believer. It is inspired, inerrant, infallible. God's word teaches us how to live. Amen? We love the Bible. If God's word says it, we believe it, that settles it. Amen? All right. Now, hey, keep those Bibles up. Now, do me a favor. Hold up your wallet. Let me see your wallets. Yeah, you brought your wallet to church, didn't you? Yeah. You're like, oh, is he going to rob me? No, we already took up the offering. Okay. We're not taking up another offering yet. But anyway, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take God's word and I want to take your wallet and I want you to put them together. This is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to ask the big question, what does God's word have to say about our wallets? If God's word teaches us how to live, that means that God's word also teaches us how to give. You can put your wallet away, but keep your Bible open. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 28. We're going to work our way 28 through 31, and the sermon title today is called Jesus and Generosity, and we're going to see three things that happen happen when you give. We're actually picking up in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. If you're new to redemption, our favorite way to preach the Bible is to go verse by verse through entire books. So right now we're in Mark chapter 10. This is like the 45th sermon in the gospel of Mark. And last week we met a person. His name was the rich young ruler. Jesus has an interaction with the rich young ruler. He walks away and then Jesus he has a private conversation with a group of men known as the disciples, and the disciples, they have a question. Essentially, what the disciples are going to ask today is the same question many of you are asking today. What happens when we give? God's word teaches us how to live, but does God's word actually teach us what happens when we give? Mark chapter 10, the sermon is called Jesus and Generosity. We're going to read it all up front, and then I want to give you three things that God does when When you give, starting in verse 28, Peter began to say to him, So Peter is talking to Jesus. He has a question. He says, See, we have left everything. To follow you. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fa- father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive 100 fold in this life houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land with persecutions and in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This section of scripture is actually a sharp contrast from what we saw last week. Last week we met uh, the rich young ruler. It was a young man who ran up to Jesus and he falls down before him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you looked at the rich young ruler, you would think he had everything. He's wealthy. He's successful. He is powerful. He's prestigious. People know him. He has a great reputation. You would look at the rich young ruler, and you would think, that guy has everything. And then Jesus tells him, if you want to have eternal life, here's what you need to do. Go sell all of your possessions, give your money to the poor, and then come and follow me. He was trying to get the rich young ruler to a place to where he wasn't trusting in his money or his possessions but that he was wholly totally devoted and trusting in Jesus but the rich young ruler he couldn't do it because he loved his possessions and he walked away disappointed and today we meet the disciples And the disciples, they see what happened to the rich young ruler, and they think, he has everything. Jesus says, nope, he has nothing. The disciples come along and they say, "Uh, we've given away everything, what's going to happen to us? What's left for us? What the disciples are wanting to know is what happens when we give. You see a sharp contrast between the two, the rich young ruler and the disciples. That's why in verse 28, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and we have followed you. He wants to know is what's going to happen to us. What's left over for us? What is there going to be for us? And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach. One thing you need to understand, where we're at in the gospel of Mark, most commentators would call the instruction period of Jesus. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is teaching them how to live. If you've been with us through Mark, you know Mark chapter one through nine takes place in a three year period. It is the public ministry of Jesus from Galilee to Caesarea Philippi to Judea. It is a public ministry. He's preaching, teaching, healing, casting out demons, performing miracles, walking on water. It's the public ministry of Jesus. And then chapter 11, which we're gonna start in a few weeks, begins the passion ministry of Jesus. Chapter 11 through 16 takes place in seven days, one week. Okay, chapters 1 through 10, three years. 11 through 16, one week. Mark really begins to slow down as Jesus heads towards Jerusalem to die. But here we have in Mark chapter 10, the private discipleship ministry of Jesus to the 12. He is teaching them how to live. That's why when we opened up in Mark chapter 10, it was a sermon over marriage and divorce. And then we went into children. We talked about idolatry and worship. Next week, Jesus is gonna do a big Bible study. He's gonna open up the Bible and he's gonna teach the disciples how to live. But this week, Jesus, he's teaching them what happens when they give. He's talking to them about their their money. Now, whenever money comes up in the church, people get nervous. They're like, oh, the church just wants my money. Why does the church talk about money? Hey, the reason we talk about money is because the Bible talks about money. Money is an important aspect of discipleship. That's why Jesus is talking to the disciples about money, which really begs the question, how often does the Bible talk about money? Let's just think about it for a sec. How many of you would say prayer is important to the Christian life? How many of you would say prayer is important? Hey, the Bible talks about prayer 247 times. Yeah, that's really important. How many of you would say love is very important? Anybody think love's important to the Christian life? Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that we love him because he first loved us. Pure and perfect love casts out all fear. Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest of these is? Do you know how many times the Bible talks about love? 714 times, very important. But how often does the Bible talk about money? Great question, glad you asked. 2,350 times, okay. That's a lot. Just so you know, by sheer tonnage, the Bible talks a lot about money. And others will really be like, well, well, what about Jesus? Okay, let's just talk about Jesus. I mean, the church should be like Jesus, right? Wouldn't you want to just preach like Jesus? Okay, great. Let's talk about Jesus. We're in Mark's gospel. 25% of Jesus's preaching and parable and teaching revolves around money. Okay, one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke talk about money. And so if we were to have church just like Jesus, okay, the sermons would be better, I promise, but you got me in the meantime. If we were to have church just like Jesus, every first Sunday of the month, we would have next steps, and I would talk to you about money. Okay, that's just kind of the Bible, and that's the way the Bible talks about it. Do you know why I believe the Bible talks about money so much? Two reasons. Two reasons. One reason is because there's a lot of people who are like the rich young ruler, that some people, they worship their money. That money is very easily the God of America, the God of our hearts. It's so easy for us to begin to worship money, to want it, to need it, to have to have it, to do anything to get it, that we spend and we buy and we consume and we possess. And many people think they own their possessions, but in reality, they're just like the rich young ruler. Their possessions own them. Many people think they are free, but really they are slaves. Many people save their money because they believe that their their money will save them. Some people, just being honest, they worship their money. And so the Bible talks a lot about it. That's why it says things like the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself, but the love of money, the worship of money is very dangerous. And so the Bible talks about it to protect your heart, but some people, they don't worship their money. Not everybody's like the rich young ruler. Some people, they worry about their money. Some people, you're like the disciples. They're worried about their money. Some people worship money. Some people worry about money. I know that in our congregation, many of us, we actually worry about money. I, I met with people all week long, and I asked, how can I pray for you? And the number one concern is their finances. Some of you, I know that you had to make a decision today. Do I buy groceries or do I buy gas because I can't afford to buy both? In your life, in many of our lives, we worry about our money. That's the same position that the disciples are in. Whenever I read this, I I hear it with an ounce of worry. I hear it with nervousness. I hear it with fear and trepidation. Just read what Peter says. It says, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. The rich young ruler walks away, but Peter draws close and he wants to know, Jesus, what happens to us? Jesus, we don't have anything. Jesus, we've given everything. Jesus, is there going to be anything left for us? Are you going to take care of us? Are you going to provide for us? What happens when we give? When I read this, I sense a little worry in in Peter's voice. Does anybody else read it like that? That's just the way that I read it. I read it as if Peter is nervous, and many of us, we are nervous when it comes to being generous, So you're trying to figure out, I'm worried about money, I'm worried about money, and then all of a sudden there's a sermon over being generous when I'm worried about money. You don't need to be nervous about being generous because God doesn't want you to worship your money. God doesn't want you to worry about your money. Instead, God wants you to worship with your money. That the way that you give is a way that you worship him. If the Bible teaches us how to live, then of course the Bible is going to encourage us when we give. God doesn't want you to worship money. God doesn't want you to worry about money. What God wants you to do is trust in him and worship him with your money. You know what we call that? We call that being generous. Generosity is when you worship God with your wealth. That's what generosity is. And so I identify with Peter a lot. Just being honest, when we read this, we make fun of Peter. But I think the reason we make fun of Peter is because we're really making fun of ourselves. Peter, he's the one who answers here. I mean, this is Peter. This is the guy who's like, hey, Jesus, aren't you glad I'm here on this mountain with Moses and Elijah? Hey, Elijah, you came down from heaven. You want to see how great I can pitch some tents? Look at me, I'm Peter, right? This is the guy who tripped and fell while trying to walk on water. Like this is the guy who always puts his foot in his mouth, says things he should not say. Jesus, we're going to be with you. And Jesus like, get behind me, Satan, Peter, right? That's, that's Peter. He forgot the miracle bread. That's Peter. But Peter really says what we're all thinking, right? I mean, that's all he does. He just says what we're already thinking. Peter's like, what happens when we give? Is there going to be anything left for us when we give? Hey, I'm a little nervous when it comes to giving. Peter just says what all of us are, are thinking, especially when it comes to giving. I know I was nervous the first time that I ever gave. Okay, I'll tell you my story. The first time I ever gave, me and Ashley, we were newlyweds, right? Brand new Christians. We just got married, we're 22 years old, and we were broke. We were more than broke. Like, we were poor. Like, so poor, we couldn't afford the R at the end. We were po. Like, that's where we were at. And we lived in a little 400 square foot apartment that, you know, we waited tables, we're in college full time, and we were trying to figure it out. And I was saved in this really great church. I loved my church. And we were going to that church for two years. And I thought it was amazing. We got saved in the church, baptized in the church. The church married us, discipled us. I was called in the ministry at that church. And then one Sunday, as I'm in church, I'm worshiping. My hands are raised. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, don't you love your church? I was like, yes. And then he said, you haven't given to this church yet. And I was deeply convicted. I had been in that church for two years and I had never even given to it. And I'm looking around and I see like all of the things that God has blessed me with. And I realized that I haven't contributed anything here. And I became deeply convicted because I was sitting in a chair that somebody else gave to be able to provide for. I was listening to worship that other people give, great musicians that they helped produce worship. And I had never contributed to that. I have been doing personal discipleship and counseling with the staff who had to go home and provide for their families. I was drinking coffee from the lobby that the church gave away for free. Right, And the pastor has godly wisdom. He's pouring out his heart. He is preaching God's word. And I've never actually supported him. And I became very convicted that I had never given to this church. And so me and Ashley, we talked about it. We said, okay, we feel like we're supposed to start giving. We need to start giving. Well, the question is, how much do we give? So I went and I talked to my Nana and I said, Nana, how much are we supposed to give? And she said, sweetie, there's this thing called the tithe. It's 10% first and best to the Lord. I was like, 10%? That's too much money, I, I, don't have that, I don't have that kind of faith. So then I started reading the Bible, I was like, well, how much do the disciples give? Peter says, we've left everything, that's more than 10%. Okay, we're gonna try this 10% thing. <laughs> but I didn't have enough faith to tithe or to give 10%. So here's what we decided we were gonna do. Remember this, Ashley, we were gonna give away whatever we made on Saturday. I waited tables and I worked the Saturday morning, lunch, first cut shift. I didn't really make a whole lot, on the first cut Saturday, maybe like 30, 40 bucks, not a big deal. So I was like, okay, God, we're gonna give you whatever we make on Saturday. Well, that next week, I made $100. And I'm like, God, I told you, Saturday morning, my, my least amount shift. Not my Thursday shift, not my Friday shift, because that's my money shift. Saturday morning, was supposed to be the easy shift. I made $100. And I go home, I'm like, Ashley, I made 100 bucks. And she's like, yeah, that's God's money now. And I was like... Why do you have to be a better Christian than me? (laughs) And so the next day we're at church and I'm sitting there and I know it's coming. I got the money in my hand and they're passing the plate and my palms are sweaty. My knuckles are white. My teeth are clenched. I'm sweating. And I see the plate coming this way. I turn and look at my wife and she's smiling and I'm like, so I look at the plate. It's coming. It's coming. I'm thinking, do I do this? Do I do this? Do I do this? And I was like, I could just pretend. And I look at her again. It's like, okay, so I let it go, pass the plate. And I'm here to tell you that 11 years later, I still have not died. It's going to be okay. It really will be okay. Like, you're going to be fine. God's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. If you just trust him, if you just worship him with your money instead of always being so worried about your money. But there's many of you that you're like me. You're nervous about being generous. Or maybe you're like Peter. You're nervous about being generous. So what I want to do is I want to give you three things that God does when you give. All right, so if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. The first thing that God does is this. God recognizes it when you give. Here's what it says. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything, and we have followed you. Jesus responds by saying, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or land for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecutions and in the age to." come. You know, sometimes when you give, you don't really feel like it makes that big of a difference. You think, what difference does my offering really make? I mean, I'm pitching in 20 bucks, 40 bucks, a hundred bucks. It's really not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't really add up. I'm not really making that big of a difference, but I want you to know this, that your giving does not go unnoticed and it always makes a difference. God recognizes it when you give. Just think about Peter. Think about how God used Peter's generosity. We've left everything. What did God do with what Peter gave? I'll tell you what God did. God turned it into the local church, that the giving and the generosity and the sacrifice that Peter makes in Mark chapter 10 is the prequel to what God does in Acts, And as the Peter stands up on Pentecost, preaching, teaching, 3,000 people get saved. The church gets planted. Missionaries are sent. And the books of the Bible are written. And here we are 2,000 years later, Redemption Church in downtown Beaumont. All because Peter was willing to give in Mark chapter 10. God always takes it. God always blesses it. God always recognizes it when you give. You may not feel like it makes that big of a difference, but I want you to know that your giving does not go unnoticed, and it always makes a difference. Do you just see how personal this is? This is the thing I love so much about Jesus is that he is a personal God. Listen to how he says, Peter's nervous. And here's what Jesus says, truly I say to you, he says, I see you. I see what you give. I see the generosity in your heart. I see the sacrifice that you're making. I see the love that you have for my sake and for the gospel. Truly I say to you, your giving does not go unnoticed, and Jesus will always use it to make a very big difference. It's personal. Truly I say to you, And I just love this. Isn't this such an encouragement? That every dollar you give, God blesses it. That every time you step out in faith and you give, God blesses it. God recognizes it when you give. This is such an encouragement that heaven takes notice. Heaven pays attention when you give. God recognizes it when you give. But if that's true, well then the other thing must be true too, that God also recognizes it when you don't give. If God recognizes it when you give, then God also recognizes it when you don't give. This is a contrast between the rich young ruler and the disciples. And just so you know, America is the rich young ruler. Okay, We have been more blessed than any other nation on the planet. We have been more blessed than any other time in in the world's history. We are the most blessed, but statistically also, we are the least generous. We are the rich young ruler. So what I want to do is I want to show you what happens when you don't give. Okay, Just a couple of years ago, there was a research article put out by Christianity Today called The State of the Plate. And they wanted to figure out how generous American Christians actually were. And here's what they discovered. It's called The State of the Plate. They discovered this, that 5% of Christians tithe. That's The bare minimum that God expects out of believers, according to the Bible, 10%, that's what God sets up as the standard, only 5% of American Christians practice the tithe. 2.5% of their income is given by 80% of believers. So 80% of Christians only give 2.5% to the local church or as he says it here, for the sake of the gospel and for his name. And just to put that in comparison, During the Great Depression in the 1920s and 30s, during the most devastated time in American history, they gave 3.3% during the Great Depression. So now money's up, income's up, possessions up, standard of living is up, but our standard of giving has gone down. And those who make less than $20,000 a year are eight times more likely to give than those who make $75,000 a year. Statistically, the more money you make, the least generous you are. And that really goes to blow the big myth out of the water that, well, when I make more money, then I'm going to be more generous. It's not true, because if you're not faithful in the little things, you will not be faithful in the greater things. And so many people think, well, when I make a little bit more money, I'm going to be a little bit more generous. But if you're not learning to be generous now, then you will not learn how to be generous then, because the great philosopher Biggie Small says, more money, more problems. (laughs) And that's just the truth. The more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to worry about. But the goal of this sermon is not to... Beat you up. The goal of the sermon is to build you up. See, this message here is actually an encouraging word to the disciples. He's saying, I recognize it when you give. I want you to see what happens when you give. See, I could take these statistics and I can make you feel real bad. I could, I could twist them and I could manipulate them. And I know that I could get a one time guilt offering that comes out of you. And I know I could say things like, I mean, really? You're going to let Oklahoma be better than you? Like, you're going to let those Dust Bowl Okies from the 20s be better than you? Come on that's Oklahoma. I could do that. But that's not the goal. The goal is not to guilt you. The goal is to teach you the joy that comes when you're generous. Because the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. I want you to have cheer when you give. I want you to have joy when you give. I want you to know that your giving makes a difference and it does not go unnoticed. I want you to know the grace that God has when we give. So here's what I want to do. I want you to dream with me. What would happen if tomorrow every Christian in America decided we were going to start giving? What would happen if tomorrow every Christian in America downloaded this sermon, and they were like, oh, yeah, we should should give? What would happen if that happened? I would tell you, because State of the Plate released that if the average Christian gave 10% Starting next week, the church would have an excess of $165 billion in the general fund. You think, what could we do with $165 billion? Okay, we could do anything. State of the plate continues and it says this that if tomorrow every Christian began giving, here's what we could accomplish $25 billion would end world hunger. 12 billion would end childhood illiteracy all across the world. 15 billion would provide clean water filtration systems for every single nation. One billion could fully fund every single missionary across all denominations, and there would be 165 billion or 110 billion dollars left over for local church ministries, church planting, church expansion, outreach, homeless ministries, 110 billion dollars left over. How many of you think that it is an injustice that people in the world are drinking out of the trash? How many of you think it's injustice that children are dying from preventable diseases and starvation and things like diarrhea? How many of you think it's a problem that kids can't read? How many of you think it that we should be a people of the Great Commission? How many of you believe that Jesus has told us to go and to tell the world about him, that we are to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey the commands of Jesus? How many of you wanna see the local church grow? There is a way and it's called the tithe. See, I think many of us were wondering, God, why is there so much suffering in the world? And I think God's wondering the same thing. He's saying, church, why is there so much suffering in the world? I gave you the answer, it's called the tithe. If you would just do what I asked you to do, there would be no pain in the world. There would be no suffering or starvation or dying from preventable diseases. If the American church would just stand up and take their rightful place in history, we could change the world. Yeah. This is what happens when you give. I mean, could you just imagine turning on the television and watching the news and all of a sudden it's like, Shh, this breaking news. The church just changed the world. Everything we've said about Christians is wrong. We take it back. They're not hypocrites at all. They're very generous people. Now every kid in the world can read, eat, and drink water. Wow, the church. Suck on that, Don Lemon. (laughs) Just think about what we could do if we gave. $110 billion left over. Do you know what we could do with $110 billion? We could buy new chairs for Redemption Church. (laughs) How many of you would like some new chairs right about now? We could do that if we learned how to give. Don't tell me, God, don't notice it when you give. Every time you give, every time you drop a dollar in the plate, you write a check. Every time you click the blue button on RedemptionTX.com, God notices it. God recognizes it because every time you give, when God sees a child eating a meal, God sees that whenever a child is drinking fresh, clean water from a dug Well, God sees that. Every time a child learns to read, God sees that. Every time a little girl gets rescued from human trafficking because of the giving that you do, God, he sees that. Every time someone gets baptized, God sees that. Every time the church gets planted, God sees that. God understands that. God rejoices over that. God recognizes it when you give. And when you give, it makes a difference. When you are generous, it makes a difference. Your generosity makes a difference, and God wants you to know, I see it, I recognize it, I love it, those are my kids, those are my people, that is my name on the line, that is my gospel, that is for my sake, those are my kids, they got my heart, that's my mission, that's my vision, they are generous just like me. Do you know that God is the most generous? That God is generous you know what God has done for us? That he has given this world, he's given us this planet, he's given you breath in your lungs, he gave you this morning, he gave you your spouse, he gave you your kids, he gave you your job, and all the money you have is really his, he gave that to you, you're spending his money, he lets you hold on to it for a little bit, he is generous, he gives us Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit, he gives us grace, he forgives us of our sins, he gives us mercy, unmerited favor, free grace gift that comes from him he gives us spiritual gifts he gives us purpose he gives us reason he gives us the church he gives us a mission he gives us eternal life with him in heaven he gives us mansions streets of gold he gives us pearly gates he gives us crystal seas he gives us new heavens new earth new life Jesus gives it all to us he is generous and when you're generous You make a difference because you become like him. And Jesus says to Peter, hey, I see you. I see that gift that you gave. And I promise you, your gift is going to make a difference. It does not go unnoticed. God recognizes it when you give. But he does something else, too. He also rewards it when you give. Here's what it says. It says this. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or land for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, brothers and sisters and mothers and children or land with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Now, before I dive into this section, there is something really important we need to put an airbag on. This is what most prosperity preachers would use as their favorite Bible verse prosperity theology says God wants you to be rich. They encourage you to become the rich young ruler. They say, God wants you to be rich. And so they'll take this verse and they say, look at that. One hundred fold Oh, you give me $100 today, God is going to give you a hundredfold. He's going to give you $10,000 tomorrow. You want to be rich? You got to give, because when you give, God wants you to be rich. So you need a new house? Give us your old one. God will give you a new house, a better house, a bigger house. Oh, you need a new car? Well, why don't you just sow a faith offering of $9.99 today, and then the Lexus is yours tomorrow. Name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. If you want it, you can have it. <laughs> So, you know, we don't believe that because it really misses the point of the Bible in general. Because, listen, if prosperity preachers are right, then Jesus was wrong. Because it says, now in this life, you will receive a hundredfold and in the age to come. But let's think about Peter. That's who he's talking to, Peter here. Did Peter end up with a condo in Caesarea Philippi? Did, Did Peter end up with a lake house property on the Sea of Galilee? Did Peter have a real estate deal of 100 homes in Jerusalem? No, you know what Peter got? Prison. You read the book of Acts? Prison. Here's what Peter's life looked like. Prison, beaten, prison, beaten. He wrote two books of the Bible, planted a few churches, discipled a man named Mark, and then got hung upside down. Okay? That's why it adds this word right here. With persecutions. When was the last time you heard a prosperity preacher preach on? One hundredfold Persecution. No, they don't do that. Well, because they believe that, oh, God wants you healthy and rich and wealthy and all these things. If you just give, then God's going to make you rich. On the other hand, some people will come along and they'll say, prosperity theology is horrible and wicked and wrong. God doesn't want you to be rich. God wants you to be poor. And they would teach what is a poverty theology. They say, God wants you to be poor. He doesn't want you to be rich. He wants you to be humble. He wants you to be poor. He wants you to be poor, so you need to be poor. Uh, That's not actually what the Bible teaches either. See, the Bible doesn't teach a prosperity theology. It doesn't preach a poverty theology. Instead, what Jesus is trying to tell them is this I provide. It's not about prosperity. It's not about poverty. It's about God's provision. Do you trust that God is going to provide for you? Do you trust that God is going to take care of you? Do you trust that when you give, God gives back? Do you trust that when you pour out, God always pours back in? It is about a provision that Jesus says to Peter, hey, I see you, I recognize you, and I'm going to reward you. I am going to provide for you. When you pour out, God, he pours back in. Now, some people will say, oh, no, no. But that is a spiritual blessing. That is a eternal blessing. I understand. I get it. We're actually going to talk about that in the next point. So don't get ahead of me too fast. But that's actually not what the text says. I want you to look at it again. Look down at your Bible. Look at it. Look at it one more time. Here's what It says, It says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left their brother or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my sake, very important, and for the gospel, who will not receive one hundredfold when? Now. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children land with persecutions and in the age to come. So you need to understand that they actually lived in a rural agricultural society. So they didn't have money like we have money. They didn't have retirement plans and pensions and 401ks. That's not what they had. You know what they had? They had houses and land and family. That the inheritance was tied up in the family. That your children were actually your retirement. That your land was your income. Your home was your equity. That that was their material money. Jesus is talking about material giving. And then he says that he's going to provide back materially for his people. When? In heaven? Absolutely. But also in this time. And what Jesus wants us to know is that when we give, God, he rewards it. That God, he sees that you are trustworthy, so he's going to trust you as you learn to trust him. That when you pour out Guess what God does? God, he pours back in. So let me give you an illustration to better help you understand this. Can I get audience participation? Kayla, please come up here. Everybody give Kayla a big round of applause. We're gonna... I have a sermon illustration that I need your help with. So let's say this is right here for the sake of the gospel And this is the name of Jesus Christ. So this right here is the kingdom of God. Okay, Kayla, do you believe that God provides? Absolutely. Do you believe that God trusts? Yes. You? Do you trust God? Yes. Okay, now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, come on, jump in. We're about to find out whether or not you believe it. This is the kingdom of God. Will you do me a favor? Will you stand in the kingdom of God today? Yes. There we go. I don't fall. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. Here you go. Give me your hand. All right, this represents the kingdom of God. And this is your generosity. Okay. So will you hold on to that for me for just a sec? I'm going to step over here. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to give to the sake of the gospel for the name of Jesus. Just pour a little bit of that into the kingdom of God. Look at you. Doesn't that feel good? It does. Okay. Okay. That's enough. That's enough. Look, every time you'd pour in, that was a child who just got rescued from human trafficking. Hey. hey, you know what you just did? You just bought all of these people new chairs, Redemption Church. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Give a little bit more. Awesome. Hey, you know what that is? That is water filtration systems in Africa. That is a church that just got planted. That is another missionary who just got sent. That is another person who just got baptized. That is you giving to the local church. Okay, good job. Okay, now take a sip. Was there enough left over for you? It was good, right? Did you die? Maybe. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. All right. And so you're investing into the kingdom of God for the sake of the gospel and for the name of Jesus. And you know what God's going to do? God sees that you're good. And so he's going to pour back into you. So go ahead. Take your lid off. So God's going to take care of you. He's going to pour in. And as God pours in, you know what your job is to do? Just keep pouring out. out. Just keep pouring out. There we go. Okay. God sees that. God's going to pour back in. He knows that you're given to the kingdom, so he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. As you pour out, God pours in. But here's what happens. When we get nervous about being generous, this is what happens. You put your lid back on. You say, oh, God didn't bless me fast enough. God didn't reward me fast enough. Maybe heaven ran out of blessings. And so you get nervous, and so you put your lid back on, and then you don't give to the sake of the gospel. and You can't because you can't pour out if you got the lid on. And you know what also can happen? When God's ready to bless you, he can't do it. Because what you don't pour out, God can't pour in. And so if you're not pouring out, God can't pour in. Many people are wondering why God isn't blessing them. Well, it's because you got your lid on. You are the lid to God's blessings in your life. So if you want to see God bless you, you know what you got to do? You got to live with your lid off. Take your lid off. And God's gonna, you're going to pour out, and God's going to pour back in, and you're gonna, God's going to pour back in a little bit more. This is the way the kingdom of God works. This is generosity at work. This is how it works. So invest in the kingdom of God. Keep on pouring. Don't give up. Keep on pouring. Keep on pouring. Because see, what many of us, we don't know is that it says a hundredfold, that God's got more than one water bottle. You might got one water bottle, but God has more for you. God's got a hundredfold waiting for you. And as you pour out, hey, you keep pouring, Caleb. You keep pouring. I'm going to pour in. Open their bottle. You just keep pouring out. I'm going to keep pouring in. You keep pouring out. I'm going to keep pouring in. Hey, this is the way it works. Your job for the next five years, next 10 years, next 15 years. Hey, all you got to do is keep pouring out. He's going to keep pouring in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. For as long as you live, your job is to take off your lid. You got to live with the lid off. You got to live with an open cap. You got to live under an open heaven. You just keep pouring, and God keeps pouring, because when you... You pour out, God always pours back in. This is the kingdom of God. God rewards those who pour. Yes. All you got to do is just take off the lid. He says, he says to Peter, he says, hey, I'm going to provide for you now in this time and in the age to come. There's eternal life, but I'm going to make sure by investing in people who are investing in my kingdom, and so when you pour out, God always pours back in. Let's give Kayla a big round of applause. And there's still enough water for you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> when you pour out, God pours in. God rewards those who pour. But there is one more thing. If I could end my sermon there, man, it would be amazing, right? We could pass the plate, take up an offering, buy us all some new chairs. It would be great. It would be incredible. But this is redemption, and that's not how the story ends. There is one more thing that God does whenever you give. The disciples want to know, well, we've left everything for the sake of the gospel and for your name. What happens when we give? And he says, God recognizes it when you give, that God rewards you when you give. And there's one more thing. God redirects you when you give. Mark ten thirty one. here's what it actually says here. It says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. He says, and in the age to come, there will be eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And you wonder, that doesn't seem like it belongs there. What do they mean? The first will be last and the last will be first. He just got through giving this really encouraging word to Peter, I recognize it when you give, I reward you when you give, and the first will be last and the last will be first. You're like, That doesn't seem like it fits. Remember, this is the juxtaposition between the rich young ruler and the disciples. See, he's talking about the rich young ruler. The first will be last. The rich young ruler, he thought he was first. You could look at the rich young ruler and you think he has everything. Wealth, success, status, position, privilege, promotion. People are naming their kids after him. He has everything. Jesus says, no, he's last he has nothing. And then there are people who are like the disciples. You would look at him and you think, they have nothing. And Jesus would say, no, they have everything because yeah. they have eternal life. What Jesus is saying is the first will be last and the last will be first. You know, there's some people we look at and we might be envious of, but hey, you know what? They have nothing because they don't have Jesus and they don't have eternal life. There's some people you look at them and you think they're wealthy, they're successful, they're privileged. I want to be like them. And Jesus says, no, you don't, because the first will be last and the last will be first. Here's what Jesus is trying to encourage them with. He's saying, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Do you know how much money the rich young ruler left behind when he died? All of it, because you can't take it with you. Do you know how much money the disciples left behind? None, because they sent it ahead. They stored up their treasure in heaven. You can't take it with you. The first will be last, but the last will be first. You can send it on ahead. This is a redirection of your priorities. When you invest in the kingdom of God, when you put God first in your finances, when you are generous, guess what happens? The priorities of your life begin to be redirected. That you don't have time, you don't have energy, you're not consumed, concerned, or worried about material possessions because you understand that material possessions are not bad, but eternal possessions are a whole lot better. And you spend your energy, your budget, your investments on making an eternal difference. It redirects your priorities, not here on earth, but in heaven, in the age to come. The first will be last, and the last shall be first. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Listen, I'm 34 years old, and I just now started saving for retirement. And you think, 34? That's pretty good, right? No, not when it comes to saving for retirement. I have about 30 years left to be the pastor at Redemption, so you're stuck with me, but I have 30 years left to be the pastor here. That's not a long time when it comes to saving for retirement. They tell you when you think about investments, you need to be thinking 30 years into the future. And so I was talking with my financial investor and advisor the other day as we're setting up all my retirement plans, and he says, Byron, here's what you need to do. He was a godly man. He actually works for a Christian organization that helps pastors be able to retire, and he said, you want to give 10% to the Lord, you want to pay yourself 10% in savings, and then you want to pay your future self another 10% into retirement. And I said, that's 30% of my income. And he says, yeah. And I was like, the government takes 15. Like, yeah, they take more than God. Yeah, that's how it works. And I was like, so you mean I have to live on 55 to 60% of my income? He's like, yeah, if you want to retire. That's what you need to do. You know what that causes me to do? That causes me to reevaluate and redirect the way that I spend my money. Because I have to take care of my family. I have to pay for our house. I still have bills that I have to cover. I want to send my daughters to college, and I think they're going to want me to probably pay for their weddings as well. got two girls. That's two weddings. (laughs) I have to reevaluate how I spend my money if I want to be able to protect my family. See, whenever you start thinking, about generosity, guess what you have to do? You have to reevaluate your priorities. But here's what Jesus is telling the disciples. And Christians, you need to understand this, that this life is not all that there is that there is an age to come, there is an eternal life, there is a heaven, and heaven is forever. And what Jesus wants for us to understand is that when it comes to your investments, you should not be thinking 30 years into the future. As Christians, we should be thinking 30 million years in the future. What is heaven gonna look like for you? What is eternal life going to look like for you? Do you think about heaven? Do you think about eternal life? Do you think about forever? Do you think about these things? What is your future financial investments look like? The rich young ruler, he had all of heaven on earth, but there was no heaven left for him. The disciples, apparently, just by looking on the surface, they gave up everything. But you know what they got? They got everything because they knew that you won't take it with you. They lived open-handed. They lived with open hearts. They lived with an open word. They lived with open wallets. And they got everything in the kingdom of God. You can't take it with you. So many people spend money they don't have on things they don't need to impress people that they don't even like instead of impressing the king who takes notice every time you give. He's the one that we should be living for. He is the one that we should be striving for. He is the one we should be giving toward. He is the one that we should be concerned and worshipful about what he says about us. It's not about what other people have to say about you. But when you stand before the Lord, what is He going to have to say to you? Is heaven a priority in your life? Is eternal life a priority for your life? Do you know how you know what your priorities are? Let's show you God's Word and your wallet. You want to know what's a priority? God's Word teaches you how to live, and your wallet shows where you give. This is how you know what is a priority, how you live and how you give. And Jesus is letting the disciples know, hey, when you give, I want you to know that I recognize it. It makes a difference. And when you give, I reward you. That I'm going to take care of you and provide for you. That you pour out, I'm going to pour in. And he wants you to know that when you give, it redirects your priorities. Because you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And God's word not only teaches us how to live, but God's word also teaches us how we are to give. Because when you give, you're giving to the name of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And when you give, the kingdom of God grows. Heaven is powerful populated, hell is plundered, and there are treasures in heaven. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Eternity is our priority. This is what Jesus is encouraging his disciples to do. So I told you at the beginning of the sermon that I wanted to take some time and cast vision for us here at Redemption because I believe that when we give, God, he begins to make a big difference in the life of our church. So what I want to do is I want to just cast some vision about how we're doing as a church and where we're heading in 2020. Do y'all want to know how we did last year? How did we do as a church? Okay, well here's how we did as a church. Last year, Redemption Church, you gave, bum, 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 drum roll, please. You gave $346,000, $428.12. Yes, yeah. praise the Lord for you. How much money did we spend? $311, $519, and 16, $819.66. We, we brought in more than we spent. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. We, we brought in, we beat budget by $34,608. Give yourself a big round of applause. We beat budget. woo You know, in the three years that we've been a church, we have never been in the red because we keep pouring out. And guess what God does? He keeps pouring back in. We have never had a down year as a church. Even when we brought in $80,000 in the first year of our church, we only spent $79,000. Hey, we have never had a down year as a church. And every year it just keeps getting better and better, and people keep giving, and the church keeps growing, and it is amazing. So, what does this look like individually for us as a church? Okay, the average church redemption person taking a per capita giving gives $22.20 per week. And just for reference, in 2018, you gave $21. So, we're up a dollar. Yes. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, according to church growth and trends, a healthy, growing church should be around 30 to $32 per person. Okay, so we did better than we did last year, but by God's grace, 2020, we're going to do better, amen? We're going to encourage you to be giving. We're going to be putting some opportunities in front of you to give towards. We're going to cast more vision. We're going to have a little bit more teaching. We've already started financial peace. We have like 30 people going through that, others who are going through membership. And then we're going to be teaching you, and we're going to be encouraging you to give generously through 2020. So we need to get that number up to about $30 to $32 per person. Okay, But where are we going? You guys did good in 2019, but 2020, I believe, is going to be even better because the best is yet to come. So where are we going in 2020? I'll give you a couple of things. The first thing is this. So y'all be in prayer for this. You know, tomorrow we start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. So I want to give you some things for you to be considering and praying towards. We're starting our birthday month today, and on February 23rd is the big birthday celebration. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to give away 100% of our offering on that day to the Church Multiplication Network, that we are going to be planting churches. They say that 80% of church plants fail in the first three years. Well, guess what? We're not three anymore. We're going to be four years old, which means we're no longer a church plant, which means it's time for us to start planting churches. And so we're going to give away 100% of our offering on our four-year anniversary to the Church Multiplication Network. They helped us plant our church. We are a church multiplication church. So I'm actually the director for South Texas of the Church Multiplication. I'm a church church planting coach, and I work with all different types of church planters. Our entire team is going to CMN in March. So it is a very big heart. That's our tribe. Those are our people. That is our network. And so we're going to get the opportunity to begin giving back more than what we already have done. And so we're going to be supporting CMN all throughout the year, and they're going to plant like 600 churches this year. And we're going to play our part in making that happen. So all of our offering on that day. The next thing that we have is um, we're going to start what I call the redemption school of the Bible that we're actually going to start a non-accredited Bible school here at Redemption, raising up pastors, elders, teachers, deacons, and missionaries. And so that's going to be coming out very soon. So for those of you who feel a call to leadership or membership, we're actually going to start a Redemption School of the Bible to get you trained and to raise you up so one day we can begin sending you out. And my dream is that we would actually plant our own Redemption churches out of our church. That's our dream. The next one is this. I was talking with Bo King, our our worship director, and we we were really talking about the use of this building. God has blessed us with this building, but how many of you know that the most wasted real estate is church buildings? Because they sit here, but on the weekends outside of church or any event or group thing that we're having, they just go empty. And we got this great warehouse. We turned into church. We have wonderful lights. We got great production. Our production team is incredible. You guys gave to provide for these sound systems. I mean, we have a wonderful church. And so what I was just thinking is that, hey, you know what? I would love for people to be able to come here on the weekends. And so me and Bo started talking, and we're actually going to begin booking local concerts and bringing in musicians and artists into the church and letting them use it on the weekends. So we're going to actually start booking shows here. The first show we're going to book is in March. You can look out for it. It's a band from California called OM53. They're going to be coming and leading worship here. It's a really great band, and they're going to be playing here. So that's coming up really soon. Also, how many of you remember our Turkey Day giveaway? Do you remember that? When we gave away over 100 turkeys to those who were in need and those who were impoverished, Thanksgiving meals and dinners to the homeless community here in Beaumont. Do you remember that? That was incredible. And that really showed your heart for those who were in need. And Erica Walker actually organized that entire thing. And so what we did is we've had a conversation, a couple of different dinners, and Erica is actually going to be coming on, and she's going to be the newest deacon here at Redemption. And she is going to begin taking over outreach and missions here as a church. And so what we're going to be doing is expect way more Turkey Day giveaways. Every quarter, we're going to be having some outreach opportunity to reach back into our city because, hey, if redemption closed tomorrow, who's going to miss us? We want, our church to take, we want our church to make a difference in our community. And also, she's organizing the first ever redemption mission trip this summer. So you can expect that coming up very soon. We're planning out our first mission trip. So. Also, starting in August, we got this right here, if I can figure it out. Aha! Redemption Youth coming soon. Jimmy Lestage is going to be leading our Redemption Youth. He's been being mentored from another youth pastor at a local church. They've been raising him up for the last six months. And so starting in March, we're going to have volunteer rallies. We're raising up leaders to help lead because the youth is only as strong as the mentors who invest back into them. And so we're going to be raising up leaders. And then starting in April, we're going to have Bible studies for the youth and the high school and middle schoolers. And then in August, a big back to school bash kicking off redemption youth in August of 2020. So get ready for that. God is doing amazing things. God is doing incredible things. And that's all because of your generosity. But there is one more thing that I want to share with you. And it's nervous and it's not ready yet. It's not, it's not a guarantee. But I do want to share it with you because In 2020, here is my dream and my prayer. And one of the things I want to encourage you to get behind is First Baptist Downtown. I want you to imagine what it would look like for us as a church whenever we move into First Baptist Downtown. If you could throw the video up on the screen, look at that. Imagine with me what would happen. Imagine with me as a church that we have a full-service cafe coffee shop that's open every single day of the week, provides good coffee and good food to our community. Imagine with me an all-ages concert music venue. Imagine with me a historic downtown wedding venue for our church and for the community. Imagine with me a shared office space where local artists, entrepreneurs, co-working space where small business owners can launch their business businesses to thrive and to be healthy. Imagine with me a Mother's Day Out program where people can bring their kids and mamas can get a break. Imagine with me a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. Imagine with me a sanctuary that not only sits 200 people but a sanctuary that seats 800 people of your neighbors and your brothers and your sisters and your co-workers. Imagine with me your best friend getting baptized and you're the one in the tank with them. Imagine with me what happens when the kingdom of God grows. And you know how that's possible? Because God's people give. Listen, I can guarantee you as a church, every single Sunday you come here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, hey, redemption, grab your Bibles, hold them up. This is God's word. We love it. We believe it. We celebrate it. That this word teaches us how to live. Grab your Bibles, hold them up. This word teaches us how to live. Do you believe it? Do you know it? This word also teaches us how to give. When you give, God, he recognizes it. When you give, God, he rewards it. And when you give, God, he redirects your priorities because he wants you to worship him. And when you give, God makes a difference.